Hey guys, did you uh, did you know Jeff Goldblum's on this call? Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 32 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel we have Joe Eames. Hey everybody. John Papa. Hey everybody from sunny Florida. Lucas Rubelke. Hello from sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Ward Bell. From frigid San Francisco, where it's 69. Oh, poor thing. I'm Charles <laughs> Maxwood from devchat.tv. Before we get going, I want to make a quick announcement, and then we'll announce our guest. I'm putting together a Kickstarter campaign kind of to help support the shows that we do at devchat.tv. In particular, though, it's a, a video series, a screencast series, on how to do stuff in Ruby on Rails, which may or may not be relevant to this show, depending on what you use on the back end for your Angular app. But regardless, if you want to go support the show, there are support levels for all different types of people. Some of them include uh, some of my time for coaching or in-person training. So if you want to go check it out, you can go to devchat.tv slash Kickstarter and just check it out. And I really appreciate the support. This week, we're going to be talking about the Angular UI router. And we have a special guest to talk to us about that. That's uh, Craig McKeechee. Hi, everyone. Craig, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. I'm probably best known for writing the JavaScript framework guide a book that covers, you know, Angular, Ember, and Backbone and kind of compares and contrasts them and helps you kind of learn them at once. But I also do Angular training, and uh, so I'm here. I'm glad to be here. That's cool. And you're here to talk to us about routing. How did you get into that? So that's a pretty open-ended question. Sorry, you threw me a little bit there, Ward. Um, <laughs> I, I, he does that. Before, I didn't want to ask you true-false questions. Craig, Craig <laughs> you think routing is a really bad idea, true or false? <laughs> no, I, I, I listened to the show, and uh, I heard on a past episode, I forget which one it was, but you guys had mentioned, hey, you know, the UI router in particular and routing in Angular deserves its own show. So, you know, I reached out to Chuck because I've uh, been on a couple of the other podcasts and said, you know, I'll... I, you know, recently wrote a, a blog post on this. I had trouble kind of wrapping my head around particularly the UI router, but I'm, you know, kind of a big fan now. And so, you know, I just said, hey, why don't we, I come on and we talk about it. Hey, Craig, you know, the questions only get harder from here, right? <laughs> <laughs> what is your name? <laughs> what is your quest? Oh, sorry. Wrong show. So I'm, I'm curious too on this because like, you know, I, I know that you're famous for your book and I think that's awesome. The, the way you compare to those frameworks. But how do you feel about the routing situation as spy? I mean, I think some people don't understand when they come into it that a router is almost an essential piece of it. You can build a spy without one, but what do you think about that? Yeah, and I think a lot of the examples, particularly, you know, with Angular, because it's really easy to show the, the data binding example without even, you know, creating a controller or a router or anything. And people sometimes, that's the easy thing to demo. So they, they don't, sh they tend to show that. But, you know, really when you're building an app, you probably want to think about your routes first, or at least, you know, the, the virtual pages or views you have that you're going to transition in and out of. So I definitely think it's important. So tell me, what, what do you think are the sort of essential characteristics of a router? Well, I think that I've seen sort of two generations of routers out there. 
so the first generation is where I would see some of the essential characteristics. So at its base level there, it's here's a URL, map me, you know, to, to a block of code that needs to run when I go to this URL. And usually, you know, with a single page application, that URL mapping to code, that code does something like instantiates a controller and marries it up to a view or a template and renders that into the UI. So, so, you know, I see that as the basic functionality, the ability to, you know, when you go to a given URL to sort of handle that transition between what I like to think of as virtual views, you've got your single page, but you're actually transitioning in different templates into the view to give sort of a virtual page uh, loading experience to the user. So it's some kind of marrying of the URL to navigation and where navigation leads to dynamic view composition. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So let me throw a hard one at you. Why the emphasis on the URL? I mean, I get it for a web page because there's really no other way to get around a browser. <laughs> but if you think about desktop apps, they don't even have a notion of a URL. If you look at mobile applications on our phone, they don't have a URL, yet all of them have navigation. So why is, and, and if I had my, if we had a banking app, right? If I had a banking app, it's not like I want to deep, have somebody have a deep link into my checking account. So what's the, what do you think about that question of why, why is the URL so central to this notion? I think it is important. And, and yes, there are instances where the URL is less important or particularly, you know, as you kind of drill down into different states or different levels in your application, it may be overkill for you to have every single sort of transition and state in your application to be a URL. So, you know, you can take it too far. But I think it's important. For example, the, the, the exact example you gave. I wouldn't want to link directly to an account in my bank, you know, and I would argue, well, maybe you would. Like, I think that would be a very useful thing to get an email that says, you know, hey, it seems that uh, you had an overdraw on this account and there's a link in the email to that account. Now, of course, when you hit that URL, you would want to authenticate the person first and then redirect them to that page. It's still behind, you know, a login. But you know, how are you going to send that email to someone and, and get them to the right place? You just want to always have them log into the app and then hunt and peck their way around to find something? I think I would argue not. Well, I think that the things that are changing in routing recently have been, it used to be just, you know, deep linking in history, but now it's becoming more about composing the app, I think. So not just having a route go from an address in the URL and the browser and linking it up, but also having different parts of the page, areas, if you will, or zones, which can then be composed based upon routes and sub-routes or states if you, you know, using UI router. But by the way, I wanted to mention that I think what you just designed, Craig, was a phishing scam for bank accounts. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that's all I could think about when you said that. <laughs> that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Uh, but I think there are lots of times when you want to deep link into an app and make it convenient. You know, maybe the banking app. I was being uh, hung out there to dry by Ward. Thanks, Ward, by the way. But uh, yeah, um, I agree. I think he set you up on that one. But no, yes. no, but no. But you know what? I thought your comeback was really terrific because I'm sitting here saying to myself, you know what? He, that's a good idea. Like, you know, why should I go find like if there's a problem with a particular deposit? Why should I have to work my way through the history if you can tell me? And and, and you got me on my heels there on that one. So because uh, I thought, aha, I got him. You know, nobody would want that. But maybe maybe you got a point. It's just that coming from the desktop or, you know, in, in a world where, in a world where there are no URLs, 
you question this, and I had a client who refused to use controllers or the router precisely because they wanted nothing to do with the idea that somebody could link in. They wanted them to march their way through the user experience to get there, and they still wanted dynamically composed views and navigation, but they didn't want the URL to participate in it, and there seems no way in today's routers to be able to say, I want to be able to do application navigation independent of URL change. It just doesn't seem to be an option. And I guess that's, it's the lack of that option that's got me uh, on my heels. Yeah. And I think, but, you know, I kind of liked you know, the way John was, was taking us there with the composability story. Cause I think there is that sort of second evolution. We could, I think we could talk about the whole, the URL thing. Is it important or isn't it important, um, you know, for a while, but I think, you know, reasonable people would agree and disagree on that. But I, I feel like it's a more important point the way routers are evolving to this more of a composability story. But I'll leave it up to the floor as to where we head next here. Yeah, well, if you hate your users, then definitely leave the URL out. No, no, I really, though, I, I think we've kind of trained ourselves over the last, you know, 20 years, 30 years of having the Internet that the URL kind of is the way of accessing a resource. and so. I like the idea of coming in on a single-page app and being able to easily get where I want to go. And to that degree, then maybe I don't need the URL to update. But I really feel like, and this is the point that Craig made, but, you know, like if I'm dealing with a particular instance of something, then definitely I want to have a resource listing that I can go and hit and work on. If it's a complicated workflow, you also want them just so that people don't have to waste a bunch of time getting to where they need to be. I hear you, but there's no such corollary within native mobile applications. And as a matter of fact, in many of the design languages, they won't even, they won't even let you do it. There was, you gotta go the way they say. Uh, That was, uh, I know that's, that was originally true in the Windows design language. It was very constraining and I thought that was true on uh, Windows phone, but I think it was true across the native mobile apps where there's just, there's no notion of a URL. You navigate according to the way they tell you to. That's true. So I think routing is an interesting point, too, and, or, and it's Bob, because if you look at it, it solves a problem that you can solve, as Craig alluded to earlier, using ng-include, custom directives, uh, or your own custom composability techniques. So why, I guess it goes back to you, Craig, when do you tell somebody to use UI router as opposed to doing a custom directive or an include or uh, maybe an ng-switch even? Well, the short answer is all the time. No, just kidding. But, uh, you know, honestly, like business reasons would be, you know, there's two that I, that I outlined in the post that I think, you know, after reading a lot of stuff and, and the one actually comes from, you know, an argument that Ember, the Ember framework uses, um, sort of to compete against the Angular framework. And that is the ideal nested routes. So the idea of a nested route as, you know, when I, um, interviewed Tom Dale, who's, you know, one of the creators of Ember for my podcast, he basically was the first person who kind of made me aware of this, this idea that you have a list. Uh, let's say it's a list of blog posts and you click on an, a blog post in the list. And then you want to show the detail of the blog post, you know, the content of the blog post, but you want to keep the list on the page. And that's the idea. So you have the list, say, on the left-hand side of the page. When you click an item, you know, you see the detail on the right-hand side. Um, and you can even take this one step further, as they do in, in Ember's classic ex- blog example, is then you edit. You might want to edit that detail. So you might have an edit link, you know, in the detail. You click edit and a form you know, appears and it might be reasonable for where you want to deep link into any of those states and have all that to basically have the list and have the detail on the page at the exact same time. 
And so that's that, that concept of nested views. Um, so people don't get confused in Angular 2.0. This is referred to as uh, child routes. So you'll hear nested views, you'll hear child routes. I believe there's one other term I've heard before, but uh, most commonly nested is the term people use for this idea. Master detail is what we might know it as from, you know, our older application building paradigms. So that's that's a great point, nested routes. Now, when I first looked at nested routes, one of the things I found is when I started explaining it to people, they were confused in some cases. Maybe it was just me explaining it, very likely. But think about a nested route. What we're not saying is that when you go down a nested route, like customer detail, a customer list, or whatever else it might be, you're not going to have different URLs for every route showing up at the same time. Meaning you could have four routes, different states, on the screen with an Angular app with nested routes and other routes, but only one of them is actually married to the address bar. And I think sometimes that can be confusing for people. You know, what's happening here? How can, how can you possibly have two routes at the same time? How do you explain that to people in a clear way? You know, that's that's a good question. And I mean, I think it's easy to think about for me when I, you know, have a concrete example like the one I just gave where you want two elements to show on the page. Now, granted, you could achieve that example I just said, the least list detail example by simply hiding and showing the detail on the page using like an ng class or something. But I feel like that's not very elegant because um, as I show in examples when I'm training and so forth is that the great thing about using a nested route for that scenario is that you can break the code for the list and the code for the detail each have their own controllers, their own views or templates, and it's sort of encapsulated or isolated separately. So. I feel like that's the big win is when you can have that composability story and you can pull those back apart and have like a list just on the page. And then when you click on an item, it goes to a detail page that's just got the detail or you can bring them together and, you know, only takes a few lines of code because you've constructed it in a composable way. Although, John, I'm not sure I really answered your question there. So maybe somebody else can give a try on that, too. I think you, what you did is you, you kind of answered it the same way I did, which is it's not an easy thing to describe. It might be a better visual representation, you know, when you're showing different zones on the screen with different routes all rendering. Uh, because every time I've explained it just verbally, I think it gets confusing to think, well, how can you have four things that all point to the same address bar? Yeah, and I yeah. guess one kind of way to think about it is you're building onto the URL. So you start with the URL might just say slash list. And then it might say slash list slash detail with an ID on the end, you know, eventually. So you're kind of nesting down. If you think of the URL as it gets longer as being nested inside of the prior sort of level of the URL, then, you know, you're creating this yeah, more of a composable. You're composing the URL at the same time as you're composing the screen. And the advantage of that is simply that you can either dip deep link to that any of those states or you can also, the back button won't break at any of those states. If somebody hits the back button and expects to go, they go to list, they go to detail, they hit the back button, they expect to go back to the list, that will work with this sort of nested route example and likely won't work if you're just hiding and showing things. So I'm, I'm still struggling with this myself. So let me try this on you. See, is, is this true? Because I had the same problem that everybody else has with this. Like, how can I have a single URL represent like say three things. So the way I've sort of come to it is I think of it as, is each of the segments of the URL represents a state in the hierarchy, right? Like, so let's take your thing. It goes blah, 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 list. All right. So let's suppose that's, well, blah, blah, blah is the outer one. 
And then there's list, which is a, so I have an outer state that's the blah, 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 right? Is that fair? Like an outer box? Sounds good. And then I go list and you say, okay, so that's a box inside the list area inside my blah, blah, blah box. So I've got a box and a box. And then you go slash detail one, and that's a box inside that box. Can I see it as sort of boxes and boxes and boxes? Is that fair? I like that analogy. Okay, so then if each box is responsible for itself, I guess I can understand that the blah, blah, blah describes the state of the outer box and it maintains that state. And then when as soon as I went inside, I didn't actually have to lose that outer box, right? I, in other words, it's that all that apparatus and all that state that represents the outer shell there is still operative. It didn't go away. I simply added new stuff that went into that inner box. Is that true? Correct. So you're composing, right? You're just adding to that inner box. And I think when you talk about the boxes, that's a nice transition into the other advantage of using something like UI router, which is with the built-in router in Angular, I'd say built-in, but it's actually, it's in the Angular project now, but it's been pulled out as a separate download, basically. So like ng-animate or resource or something like that. Um, so you have to include an extra script file. But to get to the point, there's a tag that you put on the page that basically are directive in Angular terminology that says, here's where I want you to place that new view, that virtual page or that new page that you're loading into my single page. And that tag is called ng-view within the ng-router. There is a limitation with that router, the new one that Angular is coming out with, uh, does not have this limitation, that there only can be one ng-view directive on a page. So this is where, obviously, then you can't nest views. You can't put an ng-view with another ng-view nested inside of it. And uh, furthermore, the other advantage of it is you know, it's very common to have sort of a header on a page and a footer and a main content area and maybe a sidebar or two. And each of these areas, ideally, at least for me, I'd like that code sort of encapsulated in its own controller and own view template and so forth. But since you can't have multiple, what I call multiple views on the page, that's the other thing that Angular UI router allows. So nested views and multiple views. So the multiple views I like to think of as, you know, having a home header sort of view and a, a footer view and a sidebar view and a content view if you think of a page being split up into boxes as you, mm -hmm. um, you to carry your analogy on um, so you can either nest those boxes but you don't need to nest those boxes but the draw of the ui router is that you can have more than one box on the screen at a time and you can let the router define what those things are that are going to be on there because if i didn't have that right if i didn't have that feature that you're describing then the outer controller would have to place those things in all by its lonesome. Or, right? you know, sometimes what you end up with, if you didn't have that, is you end up with maybe a template that's got, it has many responsibilities. If you think of, you know, template that has a single responsibility or a view that has just a single job, um, you end up with these views that are doing multiple things like, you know, controlling the navigation as well as still rendering the content on the page and so forth. Right. Right. We did it with ng includes, right? We would just say ng include header, ng include footer, and then we would reserve the one area in the middle for the dynamically controlled view. And it could get complicated. Yeah. Right. And, and the ng include would work, but that code that if you do anything dynamic in that header, right, the navigation, let's say, is in the header. Uh, right. If you do anything dynamic, they're like trying to keep the active state, which tab is active or which item in the nav is active. That code tends to, you know, there are ways around this, but it tends to leak, get repeated in your controllers or throughout your application, 
Whereas if you have that kind of just code that runs and, and its only job is to maintain that navigation, that's kind of nice to have that isolation. So I was a little bit confused about why you would use this, but I'm kind of getting the picture now. And I want to just make sure that I understand. So for the most part, I think people generally just, you know, use whatever workflow you hand them. So if you're doing like blog posts and you have a list of the blog posts on the side, people are just going to go with it because that's where they wind up. And so where this really works out is if you have a complicated layout that has multiple areas that can all be updated in different ways. And so people can navigate to more of a complex set of views or subviews inside of the main view, then this can get them back to exactly where they were because it tells in the route, then it tells it where all of the different views were when they left. Does that make sense? I think, I think that's a good summary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I've got the same insight you have, Chuck, or maybe it's just the thing that stood out for me about the difference between the regular one and this one. I mean, the regular one, you know, you, you only get one. So if you're going to have any complex structure, you get one place to make the change. And every time you change the URL, it's got to recompose everything all the way down, and it loses all the state all the way down from wherever you start. I think that's true of the Angular Zone router. But as I understand it, tell me if I'm right, Craig, with the UI router, Let's suppose I'm just changing the URL to change some one small box deep down, right? Deep down in that nested structure. I can do that without having to reconstruct all the outer pieces, all the outer containers and have them rebuild all their state and all that other stuff. All that, I don't have to do that. All that stays just there. And so that move to that deep down inner URL that's dealing with some small part of the real estate on my screen, it only has to change that state. Everything else is going to stay there for me. Is that fair? You know, I'm, you're causing me to think pretty hard about whether, you know, that other code that's the beginning of the URL reruns. And I think it kind of has to do with how you coded it. But my gut is telling me, from what I understand, is that that code still reruns. It's more about, did you keep track of where you went? Did you leave the breadcrumbs behind you so that you can get back on the trail where you came from? Mm. So it's not about performance as much or, you know, not rerunning code. It's about code maintenance and code being in the right, you know, isolated and in a place where it makes sense. And then it's also about keeping a trail through the actions that you took so that you can make it back to any specific state, you know, any specific path you took on your journey to get where you are in the app. Well, let's put a pin in that because I could swear that was true. For example, take your list detail, right? And you have the list on the left-hand side. And every time you click a detail, that's a new drawing of the detail area on your screen, right? When you master detail. <laughs> and I, I could swear because the list is in the outer one, right? It's in the outer part of the higher level state. And then the detail one is, is the next one down and inside. I could swear it wouldn't cause me to redraft the list and repopulate the list. That because that was in the outer state, I could count on that still being there untouched and all oh, I, I see. the detail. I think, I think it's uh, nuances here. We might be saying the same thing. So if it's just about the data, right, do you have to go back out and get the data again? The answer is no, you don't have to go back out and get the data again, right? You could just share that with the child controller. There's ways to do that. But if it's more about does that controller that builds up the outer view when you go to that new state, does it get reinstantiated? That's where I think you know, maybe the template gets re-rendered and the controller gets reinstantiated as you transition deeper and deeper down into the URL. Does that make sense? 
It does, but I have a different recollection, so we're going to put a pin in that and come back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm obviously not sure of this. Um, but yeah, I think the important point is, you know, I see the benefit as being, you know, the composability story, regardless of under the hood, whether there's, you know, some performance impact. Um, right. I think it would be a minor one. You know, I guess you could argue there are scenarios where that wouldn't be the case. But I think the important point is you do not you have one NG view per page when you're looking at a you're using the built in router in in one dot two or one dot three of Angular. Uh, well, I can't say in, uh, just to be clear here, I the Angular team would probably be remiss if I didn't say we'll probably get to this. But the Angular team has, you know, has a new router. They built it for the two O of the framework. They're backporting it into 1.3 of the framework, uh, or 1.0, maybe perhaps 1.4 now, because I think they may have moved uh, to 1.4. But they're basically, you know, backporting it into the one dot, the latest 1. Dot branch, 1.x branch. And it's maybe there already, but a lot of people are still, because of browser, you know, support issues, are still stuck on the 1.2. So that's kind of where I'd say, you know, use the Angular, if you're stuck on 1.2 of the framework because you need to support IE8, use the Angular UI router. That is your best option. When you get to, you know, 1.3 and 1.4, I would look to use the Angular router because they added these capabilities to their router. They added, they rewrote the router basically, and they added the capability to do nested routes and multiple views. They call them child routes. And, um, I'm not sure how, what the terminology is. I can't remember for the, uh, the multiple views, but it is there. So if you're on the, if you're able to use, you know, the most recent version of the framework, it, it is rapidly getting there. I'm supposed to take a, a look at it and just haven't had time to see if it's, you know, actually been finished porting. So just to be clear, it, it is there and it is fixed. This is really just about people who are in the 1.2 world. Right, right. So um, I'd like to ask a question about like other routers and then if you have any thoughts specifically about the new router for 1.4. So like routers and other frameworks, good and bad about them, things that good innovations, any thoughts there? And then also talk about more about the 1.4 router and the backporter from 2.0 and what you think of that. Right. So I think that other frameworks that clearly had an impact on this router being improved in Angular in the 1.4 version um, are Ember, obviously, and Durandal. Durandal, who that most people don't know as well, but this is uh, Rob Eisenberg. So the the story goes to catch people up. You know, my understanding, he wrote the Durandal framework. It had a nice, robust router similar to Ember's. Not sure which came first there, but they both had, you know, basically another generation ahead of router that supported nested routes and, and multiple nested views and multiple views in it. He wrote that. Then he joined the Angular team for a period of months and worked with the Angular team on the 2.0 version of the framework. And I believe one of his big responsibilities was to work on the router. He's at least, you know, been the public face at conferences and so forth for that, the new router. And it has, you know, this idea of an app router and child routes. So it's clearly, you know, in the same vein. Um, as far as what I think of the router in 1.4, I have to apologetically say that the Angular team has been, you know, proactive and reached out to me and said, hey, check it out, you know, let us know what you think, you know, and I've been tr uh, trying to find the time to take the example in my book and port it over to that, but I haven't had the time, so I have no reason to speak. The only thing I have done is looked at, you know, Rob Eisenberg's presentations on the router and the functionality it'll have, and it's clear that, you know, the, it is these things we're talking about. That these nested views and multiple views, nested views again are called child views in this new router. Does that 
kind of what you were looking to understand? Yeah, well enough. Yeah, so I was I've, a little bit curious about the the also the ember one, but but the thing that you haven't mentioned, maybe John was about to say this because John and I fought this like mad. In all the routers we had seen, there didn't seem to be any support for page life cycle. John, was that where you were going to go? Yeah, that's something I really loved that Rob put into one of his early routers. And when we were working with, let's go back in time now, a couple of years ago, to uh, using Sammy and History JS and all that. That was the first thing we were looking for to add into it was, how do I know how I can tap into before the route activates, after the route activates, and then in the controller that it actually gets activated and hooked to, you know, when that controller is activated, when it's about to be activated, like a pre-check. And then Rob also added into Durandal and Aurelia different things like having a pre-deactivate and then a deactivated hook. And why so would you use that, John? Why, so, why, was, why is that important, John? Well, the first thing we hit, uh, again, going back in time when we actually had hair on our heads, at least for me, a couple of years ago, to having these controllers where I want to check to see some state on the page. So let's say I'm on a customer details page and I'm editing something and somebody routes off of it. How do I check to make sure, okay, before you go off of here, I want to check with the controller on that page to make sure it's okay before I leave. And the event structure that's in the Angular basic router, it, it doesn't cut it. You need to have the controller have control over that, uh, pun intended. So it can say, look, before you leave here, do this check, and then set a flag to say, yes, you can, or no, you can't. And this was really, really important when we were doing like dirty checking on pages. Because uh, you can't. It's async check, right, John? I mean, in other words, I might not, it's not something I can simply check and then go. It's like, I have to wait for the user or something else to confirm that it's okay. Exactly. To go, right? Which is why it's got to support promises and all that. It's one of the reasons that you and I call the, uh, the main functions inside the controller activate and deactivate. And there was no obvious way to do that in ng router. There was no, and there's no way, obvious way. Maybe Craig knows how to do that effectively within the UI router. And and I was wondering if Ember even has that notion. Do you happen to know, Craig? You know, I, I'm not positive of this answer, but I I know clearly Rob Eisenberg wrote the you know the majority of the router in the new version of Angular in the 1.4 branch and in the 2.0 branch. And it has, has this similar feature, right? He, it was inspired by his past work, right? It was something I've heard him say on several podcasts is that he felt was really, you know, needed for the same reasons you guys just outlined. As far as the UI router, it has events, but the events to me feel very similar to the same kind of events that you get, uh, you know, fired in the NG route. Um, But that specific scenario you guys are talking about, I'm not sure if it has, hey, maybe one more event at the right point in the life cycle that allows you to sort of cancel um, out of that view transition. Yeah, and I think the events on the wrong place is kind of what Ward and I fell into is, well, it's cool to have an event on the router saying, yeah, you're about to go somewhere. The logic that has to run to determine that isn't usually associated with the router. So, for example, the two problems I have with it, and I'm kind of on a soapbox here and I apologize, Mm -hmm. but. In the controller, that's where I need to know if I should leave the page or not, not in the router itself. So that check, like Ward saying, you want to put it up to a user and say, hey, you've got some dirty changes here. Would you like to save them, cancel them, stay in the page, go somewhere else, have a drink? That has to happen in the controller. It's not a router event. And then the second piece of that is they've built in these things called resolvers or resolves, uh, the promises, into both the UI router and the Angular router. And that's great for those, but now we're taking logic that normally would live in a controller. We're saying, hey, the data that we want to actually add to the controller, let's have the router handle getting that and injecting it in the controller. And to me, that you're separating out logic on who's doing what now, which separation is generally good, but shouldn't the controller know what it needs and tell the service to go get it? 
It's upside down. It, why yeah, would the router, why would the router know what the controller is supposed to know? And so the router you stand should just know head. that this guy belongs to that. It, the router's a marriage counselor. It says you belong yes. with that person. Yeah. Go in peace. <laughs> 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 marriage counselor. I like, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I'm totally with you, John. And, and, and so this router first, uh, notion, which is written right through Amber, it's one of the things about Amber I don't understand. And maybe Craig, you can do it, but they see the world, as I understand it, they see the world from the router down. And, and I always thought of the, the router as a help, as something helpful, but not central to my application design. So maybe there's something wrong with me. Help, help me come to terms with that. You know, I feel like it's just back to that conversation we had earlier, you know, do you buy into that notion? And I think there's a, a large subset of apps that are on an intranet inside an enterprise. Maybe they don't have requirements that need you to deep link to things. Um, I still find that a lot of the apps I've built, it would be very useful to have people deep link into things. They send emails. They want the back button to work. I mean, it's, it's like the obvious thing to me. Um, you, sold, through- you, sold, you sold me on that part. That uh, I think that's a different question, though, as to where the decision logic needs to be to determine whether you can activate or deactivate and that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, the yeah, issue yeah. here isn't so much like, do you buy into URL deep linking, but more like, is the router really just almost like a higher level controller or is, as John said, a marriage counselor? Right. That's interesting that you guys really feel... I. It, to me, I maybe it's just because I, you know, I see it and I accept it for what it is, and I haven't run into this specific issue. I'm curious, were you able? Because to me, you're in the controller, right? And you say scope dot on, and you wire up the event. You inject, you know, whatever state provider. If, let's say we're using Angular UI router. You inject the state provider. Are you able to actually achieve what you needed? But you just feel like the code is in the wrong place on the API. Or did you guys hit a roadblock where it was like, I can't achieve this. I can't cancel this transition. Um, well, the canceling uh, the transitions definitely is an issue. Uh, the this, this situation that Ward and I mentioned about the deactivate and the activate and the can deactivate and the can activate, those are methods that Rob put in the Durandal router and is getting into the new Angular one. Okay. Those things are actually issues you cannot solve well in the UI router or the Angular router today. And In fact, that's what caused me to write a big ranting email to Brad Green and Igor about two years ago, and we couldn't solve them at all, John. We couldn't no, do it at all. Could not we had, be solved. We could not implement that. We had to, uh, and just to, to you know, so that's why well, everybody. The only thing you had, the only hook you had, was the resolve, because that's yeah. the only asynchronous hook in the entire routing scheme, and that's too late. Yeah, and we wrote, we so we can't solve it all. It couldn't be solved with the framework. We actually wrote probably about seven hundred lines of code to get around it. To make it work. And that's when we said, you know, forget this. Let's ask them to talk to Rob because Rob has solved this and see where it goes. And obviously good things came of it. But that's when we started switching the route up and doing other things. And in some cases use resolvers, which is really kind of a hack around that, in my opinion. Or you uh, can also do things like we did with local storage with WIP uh, Ward. Yeah. So we save the data off on the controller to local storage. And then when you leave, there's no, you don't have to ask the user, hey, do you want to save the changes? Because <laughs> exactly. we're doing it for them. Right. We just, we said, Hey, we can't solve the problem. So we're not going to ask you, but we'll, we'll make it so it's not painful if you made a bad decision and left. Right. And just to be clear, this is all with NG route, right? And which nope, version nope. of the framework and, so and where do things stand now? Or NG router. It's with both the routers that exist in Angular today. Okay. Yep. And, yep, and you, you were like 1.2 of the framework or 1.1 and probably you'd think 
we're still it was 1.2 but none of this has changed in 1.3 uh the new router will address some of these things though the one that uh that rob wrote and i think brian ford maybe is taking yeah, brian ford worked on it and they've made it asynchronous throughout they've made it promise-based throughout and that is so big the fact that the routers are now promise based is so big. And so I was curious about what Ember is going to do or has in the way of, of a page lifecycle. I mean, nested router, the nested stuff, uh, you know, that is a huge improvement, uh, of the UI router over, over the NG router, the multiple, uh, the ability to define multiple views for a particular state. That's fantastic. I think that there's a clear win there, but this asynchronous page lifecycle control stuff that's been missing over here. And I want, I wonder whether Ember has it. And I'm kind of curious, Craig, that it has, whether you felt this need, urgent need that John and I apparently have. You know, I haven't, but honestly, I haven't, you know, had that specific requirement, although it seems like a very reasonable one that almost everyone would have, but I just haven't run into that specific issue. But I do get what you're saying and it, it seems really real. From the Ember side, I'm fairly certain they do have something like this, but it's sort of easy. You know, we're kind of in the weeds here at, at you know, in a sp- very specific use case. So I don't want to say absolutely. But I'm fairly certain, uh, you know, they're kind of big on the lifecycle thing. Let's put it that way, right? A lot in a lot of their objects, right? Well, so, I think a lot of frameworks have had lifecycles, you know, .NET, Java, all these different frameworks out there have had these lifecycles in their frameworks for years. And what I liked about what the Durandal lifecycle did and the new Angular one is there's like a convention that you can follow. So if you just name a function activate or can deactivate inside of your controller, those things just get invoked at the right time in the right place, and then they have promises hooked into them so you can tell it to do things. And once you start using that, you start realizing how much code you no longer have to write to make those things happen. And I think that's the beauty of it, and that's why I'm really excited about where they're heading with it. Yeah, and I think that's the point. I mean, if you want a backing of, like, why is this important, you can say, well, Angular's obviously found it important enough to build into the newer versions of the framework. This is clearly an evolution you know, maybe you don't need these features in the specific app you're building, but probably eventually you're going to be happy that you're using something that allows you this kind of flexibility. Craig, right. they talk about state in the UI router. What do you, th- and you know, and that's sort of a state-based thing. What does the state object mean to you as, within that context? Does it have any particular value? How, you know, as opposed to a route, right? In other words, the, the, the UI router talks about a state object and you talk to a state object, whereas in NG router, you talk about a route. Is that just a difference in terminology or do you think there's substance there? You know, it, it does map pretty cleanly across, but, you know, one nuance that, you know, is not obvious is think about what if you wanted to change all the routes in your app? Like you decided that you didn't like your routing structure. The way that, you know, the state provider API works, if you look at it closely, the URL is just a property of the a configuration property. Um, and everywhere else in your app, you refer to your routes as states, sort of by this, you know, state name that you give it. Um, mm-hmm. So at any point, you could totally like redo your URL structure. Don't ask me how much value that has, but it can in certain circumstances. So it's kind of like this, you know, argument with the old in the data access days where you could totally switch out your SQL Server backend for your Oracle backend. You know, when it happens, you're really glad there's that abstraction there. Probably doesn't happen that often, but I think that's one major argument for having that that abstraction is that basically you're using these names everywhere in your application instead of using the actual URLs, um, which has some value, I believe. I agree with you. 
Yeah, I, I feel that too. The flip side of that coin is, you know, the abstraction of a state provider. So just to elaborate a little bit, backtrack, the UI router has this state machine abstraction on top of routes. So instead of dealing with routes, you're dealing with states in your application. And the states basically, that works for most use cases. But when you need like a catch-all route, let's say, you know, for like a 404 page or to redirect to the, the login page, there's still another object called the URL router provider that is needed to do redirects and to do those catch-all routes. So they basically still have this sort of lower level router concept. It's just that you build most of your app, you know, using the state provider. All right. I hate to do it, but we got to we gotta start wrapping up. Oh, too bad, because I just, <laughs> like, uh, the other thing that drove me crazy was the whole provide thing. It wasn't dynamic construction of routes. You had to do it all during oh, the yeah. config phase. That stuff we figured out how bad. But well, we figured out how to get around that, too. Oh, you, now. You, yep. <laughs> you, you did, but it's totally like, why did I have to figure out how to get around that? Why are they so locked in when the app starts and that, you know, those are the routes forever and, and how, you know. Uh, that, that'll, uh, that'll be our cliffhanger for another episode. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, uh, well. Go ahead, Chuck. All Put, right. Get us back on track. I know. Sorry. All right. John, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, uh, so my first picks are actually three. This seems like it's the year of the Angular events. And, and right now we've got ng-conf just around the corner. As Joe and you have been uh, let everybody know, and that's going to be wicked awesome. And it's got the whole Angular team keynoting and doing a bunch of great stuff. And then there's also two new events that I've learned about recently. Uh, one of them is Angular U. It's uh, in June out in San Francisco, Ward Bell's neck of the woods, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, i imagine that, he's gonna be there you or is that a, like a angular you you angular you, you. <laughs> it's an you. italian conference for angular hey no. you <laughs> and then the third one like is this. uh forget about it i think just uh two or three days ago uh it was ng vegas was announced as well by our own joe eames so yeah, we've no. got quite a bit of a year coming along with angular and some people have been saying, you know, it's on the, uh, it's already peaked. I think there's a lot more coming. All right. Joe, do you want to do some picks? I will, uh, definitely pick NG Vegas since I announced it and I'm helping organize it. I do want to make something clear. NG Vegas is not NGConf. It is not a subsidiary of NGConf, but a couple of friendly associations is, is pretty much it. So if anybody's confused about that, do not ask any questions to NGConf about NG Vegas. They are separate, completely unrelated events. So I'd like to pick that. I also want to pick the book Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. I've been on a Brandon Sanderson kick for just a long time now, just consuming and reading everything I possibly can. And been reading Way of Kings, really enjoying it. But I also found just his shorter novellas are super awesome. I've never been a fan of short stories. And they're longer than short stories. They're 30-ish pages around. But man, they are just so well written. I never thought that I would enjoy something that short, but I've enjoyed, he's written like five or six of them. I've enjoyed every one that I've read. So that'll be my real pick is Brandon Sanderson's novellas and Wave Kings. Awesome. Ward, do you have some picks for us? I do. First, I'll mention Craig's uh, little post on the AngularJS uh, UI router. And that's sort of the background for the discussion we had today. And we'll put that link in the, in the show notes. The other thing is I've 
I was on a, I tripped over Ira Glass. Do you know Ira Glass, This American Life, mm-hmm. the NPR Great thing? show. Great show. And there were a series of interviews with him about how he sees storytelling and what they don't teach you in school about how to write. And so I'll put some links into that, but it's really, it's fascinating. And it's, I'm trying to incorporate it into how I present. We'll see what kind of disaster that brings, but it's really brilliant and unexpected. And of course, it's delivered in his um, very easily receptive style. So I, I'm, I'm going to put that in there and have you all listen to uh, Ira Glass. All right. Um, I've got a couple of picks. These are all my stuff, but it's stuff that I'm working on. First off, as I said before, I'm doing the Kickstarter campaign. If you zoned out for that, it's at the beginning of the show. Um, but it's a great way to support the shows and. Ultimately, the goal is is to make it so I don't have to spend as much time consulting and I can spend more time doing the podcast stuff. So the second pick that I have is devboxclub.com. And right now I'm just collecting email addresses and talking to vendors of various things that are of interest to programmers and everything from, uh, you know, stuff you put on your desk to books and T-shirts and stuff like that. And the idea is, is that you get a box full of interesting stuff that every month. And so it's a subscription service, but I'm working out the details and I'm, I'm interested to see how many people are interested in it before I go and pull the trigger on it. The last one that I'm going to pick, and this is again, Ruby related, but I'm going to put it out there. And then if people don't care about it, then don't click it, but it's, it's Ruby remote conf. So last week we had JS remote conf and it was a, it was a huge success. Everybody seemed pretty happy with it. So if you're into Ruby, then go check out Ruby remote conf. Dot com. Craig, do you have some picks for us? I do. You know, despite earlier on the call when we first hooked up, I was complaining about the amount of snow I have here in uh, Columbus, Ohio. But last week I was at Disney World in Orlando. One thing I found that was sort of surprising, I'd been there several times to the Magic Kingdom, and there is a, a scavenger hunt that uh, a lot of people don't know about, like a pirate's adventure, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean area that's totally free and basically you know is really quite elaborate my kids absolutely loved it It, we went there two days to the magic kingdom and didn't have as much stuff to ride the second day and it was it was a very big surprise at how much fun it was and how elaborate it was another pick is a sean fiorito who's another self-published author he does an angular course but he wrote this he calls it the ginormous unstoppable angular resource list and it i give away like a, a resource list for each of the frameworks as as part of my book and this has a lot of the same stuff i have on there except it's absolutely free um it's out there so i wanted to make people aware of that i think it's um you know a great exhaustive list of angular resources one of the better ones i've seen and yeah so those are my picks all right joe you have an announcement for us about ngconf and us. sure and all of us at NGConf on Friday, that would be the 6th of March, we will be recording a live podcast episode for Adventures in Angular. That'll happen at about 12 o'clock Mountain Time, give or take a few minutes. It will be live streamed on the live stream, so if you want to tune in at that moment and watch, you can actually see all of our faces in action. Oh my. They're going to unshackle us, drag us out of the dungeon, <laughs> and, and let you all see us. Yeah, I don't know if that's a selling point. I really don't. <laughs> but we will be live. It will be um, unedited. You get to hear all of the ums and um, all of the horrible names that we call each other that get edited out from the regular shows. You'll get to see it all. The fist fighting, it'll be there. Oh, excellent. 
And we'll be we'll be talking about ng-conf and our impressions, which is why we're doing it on day two to have as much of the conference behind us. And that'll be the episode on Friday the 6th. So you can watch it live. And of course, it'll be posted to the regular list of podcasts, audio only later on. But you can watch it live and it'll also be on YouTube. It'll be posted to YouTube shortly after. That'll be the Fifty Shades of Joe episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's please steer clear of that. <laughs> That's something we're going to have to have edited out. <laughs> you will be able to see live that normally gets edited out. <laughs> I don't know if we want to see anything associated with that, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> oh, but I have the vision I have of Joe in leather is just scaring me. Oh, man. Ward, you're killing me. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna and this is everybody. from a man. This is from a man like Ward who knows a lot about wearing leather. That's right. I'm going to bring everybody one of those uh, masquerade masks, and we'll, we'll do it. Isn't that eyes wide shut? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not it's really up on that. Charles, pull the okay, plug. I, I think pull I need to end. I just, I, just got, I just got back from throwing up. I think we need to end it. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming, Craig. Yeah, this is great to be on and talk to you guys. <laughs> thanks for having me. All right. Well, we'll catch everybody next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.